Please join me for today's scripture reading from Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather, uh, for reading. Um, I've been praying for you as a church, and I'm thankful that you allowed me to come back again. Um, you might not know that some 20 plus years ago, uh, I was a part of the, I was actually the chairman of the church planning committee that helped bring North Cross apart. So coming here and uh, seeing all the ministry that's going on, all the people's lives is very affirming to me. And so it's a, it's a real privilege to be here. Um, would you pray with me? And I'm gonna ask you to pray for yourself as well as for me. I want you to pray, you're here. I want you to pray that God will speak to you in some area of your life and yet you would know that that's what he wants for you, okay? We believe the word of God, the Holy Spirit takes worship all of worship, but also the, the word and the sacrament, and he does speak to us. So pray that God would speak to you, that you would not waste your time today, and that um, you would be able to leave here and go, I have heard something from the Lord I need to respond to. I might need to confess a sin. I might need to, to step out in faith. I, might, I might, might need to trust God for something I'm unwilling to trust him for. You pray for yourself, and let's pray. Thank you, Father, for hearing these, the prayers of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a few years ago, uh, a lady named Peggy Noonan, who was a uh, speechwriter, um, said in the Wall Street Journal um, this. It was a sage piece of advice about politics. And I think it applies today. She simply said, suspend disbelief. Um, she said about politics, but I think it's true about a lot of different things. Uh, when I first read that, it was during the month of the Afghanistan withdrawal. And uh, you might remember, uh, that's where 
the longest war the U.S. has ever been in. Uh, we took the military out first and left the guns, left the ammunition, left our allies, left civilians there for the enemy to take care of. It was a mess. And so she's, it made sense to me that you need to suspend disbelief and say, yes, that really happened. Can you believe it? That really happened. Um, willing suspension of disbelief expresses a truth that goes, I think, beyond politics or whoever op occupies the White House. She said to believe, suspend disbelief. I would go further to say if you don't suspend disbelief, you will probably not believe in God. Because if you are already convinced that you will not believe, you would be unwilling then to believe. Faith is not a feeling, it's a conscious choice. We choose to believe, God gives us the ability to believe, but at the same part, we are called to believe. Um, and if we don't choose to move away from disbelief, we will not, never believe. I believe faith begins with a conscious choice to suspend that disbelief, to open the door to what might be that has never been before. For me, as a 19-year-old, I'd heard, I grew up in church, but I really didn't believe that God could change me until I suspended this belief. But, uh, my youth pastor shared the gospel. Somehow I'd been in church, a really good church, but I'd never heard about Easter. Even though I'd been at many Easter services, somehow I missed the whole thing about Jesus rising again from the dead because I heard so many times, if you want to be a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus died for you. So somehow, all, that's all that stuck in my mind, Jesus died for you. So that was all my, always my answer to the Sunday school questions. Jesus died for me, and so I'm a Christian. And then this youth pastor shook my world up, and he said, if you just believe that Jesus died for you, that doesn't make you a Christian. I went, what? Because I'd always do this thing, you know, when you have an emotional appeal of the sermon or, or a Christian movie or something like that, and they say, is Jesus in your heart? And I kind of do a heart check. I go, I hope so. You're in there. I hope so. And then the youth pastor said, Jesus not only died for your sins, but he's alive today. And somehow, I, for the very first time, my ears were open and I heard that becoming a Christian means you ask a living Jesus to come inside you and change you from the inside out. I was somewhat jaded and I wasn't into turning over a new leaf and I thought somewhat Christianity was you got to be good. And I, at that point, realized I wasn't good, which God used to convict me of my sin. And, and, I, and I prayed and I said, God, would you change me? Would you come inside me? I had to suspend the disbelief that he could not change me. How are you to understand the miracles of the Bible if you don't suspend your disbelief? How else are you going to face hopeless um, situations around us? Peggy Noonan's insight was so powerful. To believe, suspend disbelief, there's more than that, of course, and, but for right now, that's what I want to leave. If you need a miracle, and who doesn't need one, one sometimes or another, then we must suspend disbelief that God's not interested. 
you must be willing to say, unsay, that can't happen. Um, because the Bible reminds us, with God, nothing is impossible. I would venture to say, and this would be a great thing in your small groups, that just simply ask the questions, when are the times God surprised you by doing something that you had no understanding he could do? When did he do something in your life that you were not prepared for? Nine years ago, I was the interim pastor at a church over in Denver, um, Lakeshore Church, and uh, they asked me, uh, they asked kind of like this, except um, I don't intend to becoming the pastor here, but they needed, they needed somebody to preach one Sunday, and one of the guys in the church knew me, and they said, well, can you come preach? So they said, well, you know, after the sermon, they came, can you preach again next Sunday? I said, okay, I'll, I'll come next Sunday. And the next Sunday, can you, I said, or do you want to make this a regular thing? Is that what you're asking? And then we worked it out. But I'll never forget the first month I was there, I was standing with the elders, and another fellow was there, and he, he looked to me, and he said, you know, by the way, that this church is going to close in six months. You know, when you, after, you, after you start preaching here. And it wasn't because of my preaching. Um, but he was convinced the church was going to close. The church had gone through a nasty split. A lot of people had left. And people were coming to worship kind of wondering who's here and who's not here. Am I going to leave or not going to leave? That sort of thing. Um, but guess what? Some nine years later, the church is still there. And it's, it's doing okay. It did not die. But he had a disbelief to thinking that God was going to do anything with that church. I'm glad I didn't believe that, what he said, and I'm glad the people in the church and the elders didn't believe it either. Um, today in our text that Heather read for us, we're going to consider an unusual man. Luke 7, 1 through 10 shows us how faith works by giving us a glimpse of an unusual, unusual faith found in an unusual man, and it was displayed in an unusual way. Uh, here's the man who suspended disbelief so he could believe and therefore receive this miracle. So there's three people in this story. Um, there's obviously Jesus, there's a centurion, and a slave. Uh, we know the least about the slave. We, what we do know, we don't know his nationality, we don't know his age. We just know that he was sick to the point of death. Matthew's version in Matthew 8 says that he was paralyzed and in great pain. And uh, we know from our contacts that he was close to death. Um, we never see him. Jesus never meets him. The centurion never mentions his name. We don't know what caused this illness um, or how long he'd been sick. I kind of picture in my mind in what I call my sanctified imagination that he's on a cot. He moans every once in a while. He can, has to be served. Um, that he's so ill, everybody has to take care of him and death is tightening its grip around his throat, and it's evident to everybody that only a miracle is going to save this slave. Well, now, the second person in the story is the centurion. We know much more about him. Uh, one thing we know, he was looking for a miracle. We know that he lived in Capernaum, which is a small uh, fishing village in the north of the Sea of Galilee, and as his name implies, he was a military man. He was over 100 soldiers. He was sort of like the backbone of the Roman army. There, there were a cohorts, which were six uh, 100 groups. So he, there were six other centurions in a cohort, and then they would have more than that. A, a division would basically be 6,000 Roman soldiers. So the centurion um, 
was a military man. Um, it's interesting in the Bible, centurions are mentioned 21 times, uh, Roman soldiers, always in a positive light, uh, which is, I thought, I, it kind of shocked me. The most famous centurion, we don't know his name, was the one at the cross that said, surely this man is the son of God. But with that background, we come to a central fact in verse 2. The centurion had a slave who was highly regarded. Um, this was rare, indeed. Um, in the Roman Empire, slave had no rights. They could be mistreated. They could be put to death. Um, I was at another race shop, not Joe Gibbs, and um, I was told by some of the people that worked there that their owner had this sort of philosophy. Um, that when you have a 9-16 wrench and it's worn out, you throw it away. And that was his philosophy about employees, too. When they get old or tired, get another one. Somebody else will want the job. Um, well, that was the attitude uh, we find in history towards slaves at that time, that when slaves got old or sick, they just left them to the, to the put them outside in the desert or wherever and let them die. It was, we, we treat our pets more better than they treat their slaves. So the first unusual thing in this story is that the Roman centurion cared so much about this slave. Tells you something about him. The second unusual thing is how the centurion's response, what he did. He sent the Jewish leaders, elders, to Jesus. It says in verse 3, the centurions heard of Jesus, sent some elders to the Jews to ask him to come and heal his servant. Have you, did you think about why they, he did that? Um, the Jews and the centurions in the, in the Roman army usually were at odds with one another. Um, the Romans hated this superstitious group of people called the Jews, and the Jews uh, you know, didn't appreciate having warlords over them called the Romans, and usually they did not mix at all. But obviously in this situation, it was completely different. Um, this man was different. In verse 4 and 5, it reads that the elders, when they speak to Jesus, they mention some of his good qualities of the centurion. He says, this man believes to, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He loves the nation of Israel. That's unusual for a centurion. No small thing in what he did. Now, I've got a question for you. What if a man that doesn't believe came to North Cross and said, I want to buy North Cross for you a five-acre piece of property in a, on a nice intersection, and we're gonna, I will pay for all the parking, all the landscaping, the building, the sanctuary, the sound system, the, the nursery, and everything. How much do you think that would cost? A lot, yes, but what would you guess? I mean, some of you probably have an idea of, of real estate in this area. I mean, what would it, what would it cost? Five acres on a, a nice, you know, in a place, not where you have to have five signs to say where the church is, but you just drive by and see it. Five million? Ten million? Y'all need to start giving more to the church. Um, my estimate would be about 20 million. 
when it's all said and done, all the fixtures, everything. You say, well, no. Well, you don't pay for it all at one time. Well, let me ask you this. How much is it going to cost to upfit this area down here? Have you already decided, you know, figured it out? What is it? Okay. That's, that's not a small bit, is it? If somebody came by and said, okay, I'm going to pay for all that, and they did not believe, how would that astound you? So these Jews said, hey, we love this guy. <laughs> he built our church. He's an unusual man. Um, so they pleaded with Jesus earnestly. In the, in the, um, so it's a significant gift. He says, basically, if anyone deserves your help, he does. The Amplified Bible says this about verse 4 and 5. He says, when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly to come, saying, he is worthy for you to do this for him because he loves our nation and has built us our synagogue at his own expense. So this rounds out the picture of this centurion. He was kind-hearted. He was wealthy. He was generous. He loved the Jewish nation, and obviously he, he respected and loved the Jews that were his friends. And this was the kind of fellow you would want to be your friend. This sounds like a great guy. And so the Bible says that the Jews begged Jesus to go with him and go to the centurion's home. So Jesus went, and they get all the way to the front yard of the um, centurion. Now, Jesus didn't have to go, I want you to know. He wasn't obligated because the fellow had been generous to go. But Jesus decided to go. That was the third unusual thing. Jesus was willing to go. And then we find the fourth unusual thing verse, found in verse 6 and 7. The, excuse me, the centurion said that, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He says in verse 6, he said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The Jews who loved him said, this man is worthy. But the man says about himself, I'm unworthy. And so we see reason for such faith. He says, this man basically demonstrates two good traits, humility, a true estimate of himself. And then he said in verse 7b, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. We see the reason for this faith in verse 8. He says, For I myself and a man under authority, with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. I used to pastor in Southern Pines, North Carolina, right on the west side of Fort Bragg, and so we had a lot of military people in our church. I was there 15 years. And we had a disproportionate amount of special forces guys. And they gave me a pretty good education uh, of, of the military. Um, we had some men die that were in the military. So there's a lot of history I, I learned from them. We had people in, in the upper echelons and we had the grunts in our church. It was great to see. Um, so I became pretty close to them and they helped me inform me of my understanding of this military centurion. Um, and it helps me with this particular passage because this centurion 
military man, he thinks what he speaks and he speaks what he thinks. In the military, he understood authority. He understood, I don't have to be there for my, my soldiers to do what I told them to do. If I tell them to do it, they're gonna go do it. I don't have to check up on them. They're gonna do that. And if I have authority over these men and they do it, you have authority over sin, death, and, and disease, you can do it without having to come and touch it. It's amazing faith. And it's astounding that he should have figured this out before others. He argues from personal experience of what he knew, and then he applied it to Jesus. He argues from what he knows about himself, and if my authority produces instant obedience, how more should you? And Jesus says the fifth uh, unusual thing he says he was amazed he was amazed at the centurion's faith only two times that I, I, I can remember in, in my reading of scripture that Jesus was amazed this time about somebody's faith it was about this centurion and the disbelief or the lack of faith that he found in Jerusalem The faith outside, this faith from a, uh, basically an unbeliever at some point amazed Jesus. And so there was an unusual miracle. In verse 10, uh, Jesus heals the centurion's slave without a word. He doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to heal him through the walls. He doesn't do a prayer. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't project. He just heals him without having to say a word. And the centurion didn't know he was healed until he went in and saw the paralyzed man not paralyzed, the near-death man not near death anymore. It was a pure miracle. How did God do that? I don't know. <laughs> By his power? Same power he had when he spoke into to light and darkness and creation. But he showed his authority. It amazes me that he would say, Lord, don't trouble yourself. He had faith, audacious faith, unexpected faith, unashamed faith. That's what impressed Jesus. I'm glad because if it took money, like, the, you, know, like you could buy a miracle by building a synagogue, or education or position or power or connections, I certainly wouldn't qualify for a miracle. And if it took being super religious, I wouldn't qualify at that either. But there's two vital facts that we can draw from this passage. And I want you to kind of ask yourself. Faith works when we come to God with a sense of our own unworthiness. Um, Allie Dyer, who I don't know if you're aware of, Bob Dyer's the head chaplain. Uh, actually, Hudson's the head chaplain, but Bob has been there for 30 years. But... Um, his daughter is um, three months ago, she has cancer. She has a growth in her, her chest. And um, three months ago, Bob told me that she had a 95% chance of success. And then a couple weeks later, he says, no, it's now reversed. She has a 5% chance. And so um, it's really hard. 
and she has been riding on caring bridge are you familiar with that where you can keep up with people and they don't have to send a thousand emails to people and um, she wrote this in one of her missives that is very insightful she said but let us get into a crisis and suddenly we start praying like a christian that's what she said about herself desperate situations make us christians all over again she wrote we quit talking about how wonderful we are and we simply cry lord mercy lord jesus have mercy on me um, there's no prayer more basic than that lord jesus have mercy on me the first step in salvation the one that really matters and can never be skipped is that you understand that you have a desperate need like my story i told you before i had a desperate need that there's nothing you can do to save yourself um, so we humbly become before god so there has to be that understanding of your desperate need and number two faith works when our confidence in god is strong enough to believe he can do what he says he can do I want to go back to my story a little bit. When I prayed to ask God to be my savior, I prayed this way. I said, Lord Jesus, if you can do this, if you can come into my life and you're living and you can change me from the inside out, please do. The youth pastor had me write down on a sheet of paper. Uh, he said, if there's sins that you feel like separating from God, write them down. And I, he gave us the legal pad and I, everybody else was through and I was still turning pages and right now and all of a sudden I was convicted about the stuff I stole when I was a kid. I, I convicted about people I needed to apologize to. There were a lot of things. And then he said, you need to ask that living Jesus to come inside you. And so when I did, I prayed, but if you fail me, this was a part of my prayer. If you fail me, I'll quit you forever. I had just maybe less than a mustard seed worth of faith. But I can tell you now, 40 plus years later, I have failed Jesus over and over and over and over again, but he has never failed me. There's times I've asked, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. This was not my agenda. What are you trying to work here in this situation? I don't see any good in this. There's a lot of times, I like, I like reading the Psalms, and I hear David and Asaph and those guys pontificate about, God, would you just kill my enemies right now? <laughs> Do it right now. And then at the end of the Psalm, he would say, yeah, but who, am I, who have I in heaven but you? Once we're willing to suspend our disbelief and renounce our skepticism, then and only then can we become candidates for a miracle. Let me close with a quote, an illustration, and a poem. Poems are really rare for me. Here's a quote from John Calvin, which makes every sermon better. How graciously Christ pours out his grace when he finds the, the vessel of faith open. Let me give you an illustration. Um, about a week ago, I was uh, looking at Instagram, the reels, you know, that come through. I guess they're sort of like TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. But there was this one where this college student was um, trying to stump this Christian apologist out of college. And 
the student says, I want you to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't want a you know, 99% probability, I want 100% surety that Jesus came, that he died, that he was resurrected, and that he's God. And he says, you want 100% proof? He says, absolutely. And then he, the apologist said, and is that how you live the rest of your life? He said, yes. You know, it's really worked up. And, and he said, well, okay, well, I can give you a lot of proof. I, I can give you proof of the veracity of the scripture. I can, I can show you the archaeological finds that have proved everything that the scriptures, not everything, but has never disproved anything the scripture has said. I can, I can introduce you to a lot of people who have been in your same spot that their lives have been changed because of what God, he says, that's not enough. I want 100% proof. And he said, okay, let me ask you this question. Uh, do you have a roommate here at your college? He says, yes. What does that have to do with anything? He says, how are you going to sleep tonight? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, how do you know that your roommate's not going to stab you in your head when you're asleep? Do you have 100% certainty that that's not going to happen? And how in the world do you ever eat at the cafeteria? Somebody might be trying to poison you. And how did you walk here? Snakes could have gotten you. And all of a sudden, the fellow realized he didn't have 100% certainty about anything. I can tell you something I have 100% certainty about. Is that God loves me. And that when I die, I'm going to be with him. And I know that he can change people's lives because I've seen him do it. And I know that he can, his perfect will is going, never going to be thwarted. And that's a great assurance to me. Um, and then I have a poem. This is uh, written by Nancy Spiegelberg, and this is just part of the poem. She says, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain, in asking any small drop of refreshment. If I'd only known you better, I would have come running with a bucket. What is it that you're unwilling to trust God for? But you recognize God has all authority. And he's powerful. What has God said to you today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this centurion and how he's mentioned a couple of times in scripture and how his faith is highlighted and his, his insight about the ontological truth of your ability to heal without being locally someplace has changed so many lives. And so, Father, I pray that what truth has been spoken today, that you would take it and put it into our hearts and you would help us to suspend disbelief and to demonstrate faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.